3: Welcome to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you missed any of my talk radio breakfast show, don't worry. We've put some of the punchiest bits of this morning's show into a bite sized podcast, the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. Enjoy. First up, though, let's talk to Professor Azim Majid. He's head of the Department of Primary Care and Public Health at Imperial College London and joins us now. Good morning to you.
2: Uh, good morning, Julia. Good
3: morning. Um, we are um, in very, very—I uh, mean—scary times for a lot of people. Whether it's people scared for their health, or scared for their jobs, and uh, or civil liberties, uh, there are lots of different things to be scared about right now. Um, the government is under a lot of pressure from all sides to sort of save the economy, to also to save lives from the coronavirus, but also to save lives uh, from other causes of death, of course. Um, do you think that we should be going into a second full lockdown for two weeks?
2: Uh, No, I'd be against that at this stage. I think we need to work harder on our test and trace system, uh, try to optimise that to ensure that we identify cases quickly, identify local outbreaks, and to prevent those outbreaks promptly. Uh, I think that's the way forward rather than lockdown, which would have a big impact on our economy, on people's personal lives, on schools. Uh, and on the economy as well so, so I, I'd be against national lockdown at this
3: stage I mean these local lockdowns we use the word lockdown it's not the same as when we were basically all prisoners in our own homes back in uh, March, April and May is it? this is uh, uh, people being banned from meeting people outside their own households whether it's at home uh, or in the pubs or the restaurants and a 10pm curfew on pubs and restaurants now that's going to be massively damaging to local economies to local businesses uh, and people who perhaps just just about getting back up, uh, up on their feet um, this is North London, North Hines Side, south Ironside, Newcastle upon Tyne, South Sunderland and County, Durham um, across the board. Um, ha- however, I mean, a full lockdown has a far, far greater effect. Um, do you think that the government could be doing more to actually prevent mm-hmm. this from happening? You say the test and trace system. What could they be doing with that system well, that would make I it
2: possible? Uh, yeah, those are good points, Julie. I think it's clear the system has been overwhelmed by, by demand. Uh, so I think the first step is to prioritise testing. Uh, so anyone can wake up and get a test no matter what they uh, medical problems are, or what their symptoms are. I think we need to prioritise testing for certain groups: uh, older people, people with health problems, uh, care homes, uh, key key workers. Uh, other people can also be stratified by risk as well to ensure we target the right people. Uh, we need to apply the the the, the, um, the testing more intelligently, which means more intelligently, which means giving uh, more power to local NHS and public health teams so they can identify who to test and uh, when to test them. Currently, it's a very centralised system, run from London, and it's hard to of what's going on in Doncaster or Newcastle or Exeter, for example. So I think we need to give control to local teams and give them responsibility for the testing programme
3: yeah I mean a lot of people have been saying that that's uh, that's where it's been going wrong both for testing and tracing not using the local resources yeah. and local uh, know-how um, and there's also the concern now that hospitals are being told to clear extra beds to deal with a COVID spike in the next two weeks and a lot of that involves obviously clearing patients out of hospital which you and I both know um, something like 60% of all patients in hospital at any one time are elderly people often very infirm uh, going into a care home for the first time or returning to a care home from where they've Originally come. um We are told a uh, Channel 4 investigation, all credit to them on this, um, has found uh, uh, that uh, many care homes are being told once again by local authorities to accept patients who are COVID positive. Not people who haven't been tested, but actually people who are COVID positive into care homes where there are obviously huge numbers of vulnerable, uh, very frail people who are highly susceptible to the virus. Um, do you do you share my concern that we don't appear uh, to have
2: learnt a single lesson yeah, yes I, I was very concerned i think discharging someone who's covered positive to a nursing home would be very 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 dangerous because just one person can affect lots of other people very easily and um, we saw with previously earlier on in the in the pandemic that the tragic effect in nursing homes that made people dying or, or falling ill so i'm very very concerned if people who were covered positive will being discharged to nursing homes. maybe perhaps look at the other locations like the hospitals we were built uh, for example on the Excel centre uh, perhaps, perhaps we, we, we uh, start those and send people there instead uh, so I'd avoid something in and it was coming positive back to a nursing camp because I think it's very dangerous Thing
3: to do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, we we, we have the full proof of this, don't we? Um, and and, and we, we, you know, we do still have this capacity available, uh, these uh, Nightingale uh, hospitals, certainly the big XL one in London. Um, but I mean, I understand other Nightingale hospitals have basically been you know, dismantled, taken down in other parts of the country, despite the fact that we're told we're going to have this second wave. And again, I've got big question marks about that. Are you concerned that, as someone who's heading a, a, a head of department of primary care, that this focus on COVID, at the expense of everything else and the National Health Service becoming a national COVID service once again, actually will mean, okay, we may save some lives from people with coronavirus, but those lives will largely be those of already very frail elderly people. Not that those lives don't matter, but we have to get things in perspective in terms of life expectancy at this point, but as against actually losing the lives of many, many, many thousands more who are not getting treated for 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 things like cancer, for heart disease, things who, who are younger, healthier people with far more years of their lives to
2: go? Yeah, clearly COVID is a very serious condition and a serious problem for people that can result in long-term complications like heart and lung damage. But at the same time, we have to remember we have to treat other people as well, people with heart disease, cancer, uh, diabetes, kidney disease, that has to go on and we've seen in recent months uh, record NHS waiting lists, for example, long delays, people who get referred to hospital and then be seen in hospital for very serious medical problems. So we need to think about how we can protect the rest of the NHS. Uh, you know, perhaps set up separate sites for coding non-coded patients so we can carry on treating people uh, with other conditions and we don't end up with a large number of deaths from all these other medical problems that are very important.
3: Okay, well thank you very much indeed for joining us, Professor Azim Majid. Uh, he's a uh, head of the Department of Primary Care and Public Health at Imperial College London.
1: Talk radio breakfast with Julia Hartley Brewer and the Times. Be well informed.
3: Let's uh, talk uh, now to uh, Councillor Martin Gannon. He's leader of Gateshead Council. Of course, Gateshead, uh, one of the areas uh, where we are now seeing two million people in total across the North East banned from meeting people outside their households or at home or in pubs or restaurants. A 10pm curfew uh, starts tonight in all pubs and restaurants. Good morning to you, Martin.
4: Good morning. Good morning.
3: Um, I mean, this is going to be having a devastating effect on people in terms of being able to meet their family and friends, uh, and indeed on local uh, businesses in the uh, uh, in the bar and the restaurant uh, uh, sector. Um, is this something you support? Is this something that you wanted? This sort of form of a partial local lockdown?
4: Uh, yes. It, well, the um, all seven local authorities in the northeast of England um, last weekend were advised by our directors of public health that there was a a growing and increasing problem, and that we needed further intervention. So yes, we do support it.
3: And, and um, how uh, how large is the uh, the, the scale of the, uh, the the testing positive cases in your area that has made you so concerned about it?
4: Well, the the government's threshold to um, go out the watch list is forty cases per hundred thousand population. We're about double that, um, but they're the main issues, I mean, you're saying, you know, what? what's the scale of the problem? Um, actually, to tell you the truth, I'm not entirely certain because um, it's almost impossible to get a test in the northeast of England.
3: Well, I mean, we, yes, I think lots of people were, were arguing this yesterday, but then uh, I think Dido Harding was pointing out that actually, you know, a large number of tests are being had. It's just the demand is far greater than the capacity. Have you well, been able... Oh, sorry?
4: Well, there's a surprise.
3: <laughs> yeah, well, ex- well, this is it. We only you...
4: had nine months to sort it out, but never mind.
3: Well, this is it. You and I, neither of us, are experts in it, in this field at all. I think we can safely say, but I doesn't surprise a you lot or of me to that wear this,
4: one, I don't mind. this is uh, it. Actually, we're not experts, but we're in the middle of a pandemic. And forgive me, I, I think the World Health Organization in February gave advice to governments around the world, and they said the secret is test, 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 and nine months later in the north-east of England, in the middle of a pandemic, with rates twice the level of of reaching the government's watch list, and I can't speak to anybody who can get a test.
3: Yeah, and um, the people you know who've been trying to get tests are they getting tests because they've got symptoms or are they among those which Dido Harding, who's in charge of the test and trace system, uh, she's sort of well, let's face it, criticised by saying the people are getting tests who who've not got symptoms who aren't actually meeting the eligibility criteria. These people who are just concerned because they know someone who's who's unwell.
4: I'm sorry, she's talking claptrap. You know, but why the hell does somebody want a test? They want a test because they've got symptoms. It's as simple as that.
3: Uh, the 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 the, the and trace people have said that um, a, a quarter of those who are coming for tests have no symptoms.
4: Well, I'm sorry, I, you know, I talk to people every day, you know, um, who are desperate, who've got symptoms. I, I mean, I've got the head teachers, the head teachers' association in Gateshead have written to us because they've got teachers at home who can't get into school because they can't get a test.
3: I mean, I completely agree with you in terms of it was entirely predictable. We were promised, weren't we, when kids went back to school, people getting back in their workplaces, that there would be a test and trace system in place so that if there was any worry at all, any concern, one person gets tested positive, everybody in the school, everyone in the workplace could get tested and we'd all be able to find out who had it, who didn't, and then everyone else who didn't have it, the vast majority could get on with life as normal. That's not quite worked out.
4: No, it's not. Then also, I've mentioned schools, we've got hospitals. We've got hospitals where, you know, two weeks ago, the Queen Elizabeth Hospital in my um, area, it's a major hospital, um, was getting sufficient supply for two hours of testing. They were running out at 10 o'clock in the morning. And then there was three days where we didn't have any tests whatsoever. Uh, That was the, the Friday that we were advised to go onto the watch list. So... You know, it's like trying to deal with a health emergency with both hands tied behind your back and with a blindfold on. Who do you blame? I blame the government.
3: Anyone in if particular? I've nine months
4: to sort this out. I, said, I don't, you know, I, mean, I, don't, I I get no pleasure, you know, from, from blaming the government. In, in the middle, I'm one of those people who genuinely believe when you have a health emergency, you need a government that has respect and has authority. We need the government to get a grip of the situation.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think an awful lot of people will echo that. Let's talk about just what's been going on in terms of local businesses. Um, I mean, a lot of people who, who don't go out to the pubs and restaurants and don't go out late, Look, like, you know, I, I get up for work at half four, so I'm not a, a late bird anymore, but a 10pm curfew on pubs and restaurants, a lot of people will think, well, that's fine, that's not really going to affect. That will have a huge effect on the ability of a lot of pubs and restaurants to be able to actually keep going and, and, and even break even, let alone making a profit this year.
4: No, I think, it I mean, that... And, you know, I, I, I live in this area, I'm a local resident, I, I, I know the business people, I've talked to the traders that have you know, gone through some absolutely desperate times. Um, even before these current measures, you know, I've got colleagues and friends, uh, people whom I live in the community with who are working their guts out and they're not making any money. Okay? I mean, it must be absolutely desperately depressing to work all day but not actually make a living, you know. And so, you know, this just makes things worse. And I accept that, but we have to do what we have to do.
3: OK, really appreciate speaking to you, uh, Councillor Martin Gannon, Leader of Gateshead Council. Uh Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle
2: down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments.
1: That's stamps.com. Code program. Radio Breakfast with Julia Hardley Brewer and the Times. Know your times.
3: Well, let's talk about all of this right now with the Health Secretary, Matt Hancock, who joins us now. Good morning to you.
0: Good morning. How are you? Uh,
3: Do you know what? Uh, Frankly, despairing this morning, uh, Health Secretary, at the prospect of a uh, a second national lockdown. That's what's been mooted, we're told, by some sage scientists It's in the Financial Times. 10 million people currently facing local restrictions right now across the population. Um, How likely is it that we are going to see uh, another national lockdown for two weeks in October?
0: Well, it is a very serious moment. The the virus is clearly accelerating, and we've discussed on this, uh, we've discussed many times that whether that is going to lead to an increase in people ending up in hospital. But unfortunately, the number of people in hospital has doubled every eight days in the last few weeks, and so it it is a very serious moment. And we're uh, understandably looking at uh, options. My, uh, you know, the, and na- national action is a last line of defence. The first line of defence is what you were just talking about, The uh, what, what all of us need to do, hands, faces, space and the rule of six.
3: OK, you say the number of people in hospital has doubled. The number of people who've tested positive for COVID who are in hospital has doubled. Um, one of the, uh, the great sort of uh, spikes we've been seeing is in Bolton. How many patients are currently in hospital with coronavirus in Bolton?
0: Uh, I haven't seen the figure, it's, but it's I two. have... S- no, that's not true. It's so,
3: That's what the official figures oh.
0: state. Uh, no well that's not true it's much higher than that I've seen the I've seen the shape of the curve I don't know the exact shape figure of the curve. Okay. let's
3: talk about shapes of curves because we know that coronavirus uh cases are going up but again lots of people including Carl Hennigan professor of evidence-based medicine at Oxford University uh, who has uh, helped to influence some uh, some changes in government policy recently has pointed out these aren't cases of coronavirus these are people who've tested positive for the test um what is the false positive rate on the testing that we're doing in the community?
0: Under one percent.
3: It's under one percent. Um, yes. Even around under one percent. Do you know the exact rate?
0: Um, it's well, under one percent means that for all the positive cases, I'm... the likelihood of one being a false positive is is, is very small. I understand what I
3: what, understand what under one percent means. But, yeah. but is that the yeah. exact do you have the exact figure for what it is?
0: Uh, we do, we do. We do. Uh, I don't have it in my head. Okay. I know that I know that the the specificity, as it's called, mm-hmm. of the te- of the PCR test is o- is okay. over ninety nine.
3: Because uh, some very eminent uh, eminent people in this field have pointed out that uh, even a, a, a uh, false positive rate of one point eight percent, so just double roughly what you're saying, would uh, account for pretty much all of the daily positive tests. And there's a really easy way of finding out whether or not a test has been uh, a false positive or not, and that would be testing the same person a second time, because the chances yes. of them having yes. false positives twice is very little how many people are who have tested positive for coronavirus under these tests which have this false positive rate how many of those are tested a second time Uh,
0: well we do do that sometimes again i don't have that proportion but i mean is it is it one
3: percent is it 50 percent anything i
0: I don't have the figure i'm not going to speculate Uh, but what i julia I, i can see the thrust of the questions and what i can tell you is that we take into account of course we do uh, the issue of the, the very small proportion of false positives, and we also uh, publish through the Office for National Sti- Statistics an analysis of the impact of that on the uh, on the figures that we use. So I, I, I wish it were true that all the positives were false positives and that this wasn't happening, but it is. Okay. And and the proof of the pudding is sadly in the fact that that more and more people are going into hospital. There's now over 100 people on uh, ventilators. Uh, there's 900 people with coronavirus in hospital uh, across the country. That number is doubling every eight days. Okay. So I know that there are people who are putting about this argument that actually we can all l- let it go but unfortunately that will lead to more people dying
3: i'm i'm, I'm not one of those people saying we should let it go it's a very serious disease and we need to take action and and, and you know i'm not someone who thinks it's a global conspiracy or a hoax or anything yeah, however yeah, yeah. i like you i think should be listening to eminent people like professor carl hennigan who ha- yeah. gave evidence to the science technology committee yesterday uh, and talking about the risk of the false positives and this this test um that's you say 100 right. people on ventilators and that's going up and obviously 900 people with coronavirus. Um, I mean you of course being the health secretary will know that every autumn even when we've had a nice load of hot sunny days, every autumn we do see an increase in the number of people going into ICU, going into needing ventilators. When we don't have coronavirus, it's happened last year, it happened the year before, it happened the year before that and it will happen next year and the year after that as well. Some of those people will have coronavirus and we knew that that would happen because when you come out of a lockdown you're going to see the prevalence of the disease spread. Um, Why was none of this predicted by anyone on your team?
0: Well, we do have a range of scenarios, including covering this one. Uh, And um, so we did know that uh, this might well happen. In fact, I remember very well, I was talking about this uh, a few months ago when I said that there were three big moments. Uh, One, the start of July when we opened up hospitality, a second at the start of September when schools came back, and a third, the start of December, when the winter turns. Because all the, what you've just talked about in terms of pressures on the NHS going up in a normal way, which they do, that tends to happen from about the start of December. So absolutely, this is a, this is a moment that we always knew uh, would be a would be exactly. a risk so so
3: why are we reacting to this with local lockdowns and restrictions and talk of a second full national lockdown in october when this is not only entirely predictable it was predicted we go into lockdown we come out of lockdown we go into autumn we will see a rise in coronavirus cases
0: it's a question of degree so we knew that it was this was a a, a moment of risk in fact the the moment of risk at the start of July um, was much less uh, uh, difficult than I expected, and that was uh, and that was great. It's almost like, like the
3: modelling isn't accurate, isn't it? Sometimes.
0: Well, we're dealing with an unprecedented. Disease modelling, of course, is an is an estimate. I mean, anybody who's lived through the last nine months and says that you can predict the future with accuracy, needs to have okay. their head look. But
3: now we can't predict the future with accuracy, and we've learned that from the Imperial College uh, uh, computer predictions. And I don't know, I'm I'm not somebody who thinks that we should never go into lockdown. I think at the right at the time that was the right decision. I've been very very quick to defend the government on that throughout the lockdown period. That you know we we didn't know about the virus. We had lots of false information coming out of China. All the chaos in northern Italy uh, at, the right, yeah. at the time it seemed like the right thing to do. However we don't have to rely on predicting the future anymore. We can look at what's actually happened not with computer models but with the real world. We can look at what's happened in Sweden. Can you explain to me why a country that has not had a formal lockdown, yes plenty of social distancing but schools left open for under 16 year olds, bars, restaurants still open uh, why Sweden right now despite not having a formal lockdown and not even considering the prospect of one this winter, why have they got a low rate of coronavirus uh, infections hospitalizations and deaths than we have
0: well I've looked into this and you know we've discussed it before uh, and Sweden has brought in legal measures uh, to restrict social activity uh, and very also, limited uh, uh, no and also but they are very they have, limited no tell and, me what and and they are al- that are so unlimited and, and, then. and also the deaths are in Sweden from the first wave were 10 times higher than Norway next door. And we know that how dense, densely packed your population is has a very big impact on your... And we know most of those uh, deaths in Stockholm,
3: which is a very busy city. Can I also ask you uh, just uh, about uh, Dido Harding? Um, Dido Harding uh, yesterday said that demand for tests uh, has uh, been four times higher than the capacity, at one million a day. And she said that uh, based on SAGE modelling, she did not anticipate such a large rise in demand when children returned to school. Um Everyone else predicted a rise in demand when children return to school. You were telling people only a few weeks ago, if you're at any doubt, get a test. We know that when a child gets ill at school or a teacher, we're going to have that demand for testing. Um, how is Dido Harding still in a job?
0: Oh, well, Dido Harding has done an excellent job of increasing, yes, of increasing the capacity of testing. And she is on, on track for that. And that's, it's been a mammoth, massive effort. The challenge is that we've had a whole load of people come forward for tests. Who aren't eligible for tests because they don't have positive symptoms but they had doubts
3: and you said to people if you've got any doubts get tested they're just I doing said, what you told them to do
0: i said if i said if, i said and our policy position all the way through has been if you have symptoms get a test if you don't have symptoms you shouldn't come forward to get a test but you must self-isolate if you've been in contact with somebody who's tested positive. Unfortunately, then getting a test doesn't help you. You've still got to self-isolate because of the risk of a false negative. But
3: thousands of of NHS workers, care workers, teachers, pupils at school should be at home, not working and not learning because they can't get hold of a test.
0: Well, NHS workers have access to tests through uh, the NHS uh, route. Uh, So they should also, should all get their tests from their local trusts. Um, And of course, I want people who have symptoms to be getting the tests, which is why I'm so robust at saying people who don't have symptoms, unless they've been specifically asked to for a a good reason, uh, should not be getting a test. It's a really, really important principle that we have, you know, we have this massive testing capacity now that, that in fact, that helps us to manage this this uh, uh, this second increase much better than first time round because we know where the virus is in a way we simply didn't the first time round. But it's very important that that, that capacity okay. is used for the people who really need Just it. Just
3: finally, I know you have to go. Final questions. Really simple. Uh, do you think the government's doing a good job on this? Uh,
0: yes, and I think that we've got a we've got a massive challenge as a country, and we need to come together as a country. This is one of those big moments when we can all see that the number of cases is rising and the whole country needs to do their part to follow the social distancing rules the simple things hands face face the rule of six uh, and that is the best way to avoiding uh, further action we'll take further action like i did in in the northeast uh, yesterday we'll take it if it's needed uh, but uh, this, is a, this is a big moment and everybody needs to be alert.
3: OK. Matthew Hancock, uh, the Health Secretary, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, get your thoughts. Thanks for listening to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and give me a good review. And don't forget to catch me on the Talk Radio Breakfast Show every weekday from 6.30 until 10.
2: Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact...